Hi, I'm Nam Kiwanuka. Join us and be part of the conversation on The Thread, streaming on TVO.org, The Thread with Nam on YouTube and other TVO platforms, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at TVO The Thread. For more in-depth perspectives and interesting stories, sign up for our daily newsletter at TVO.org daily. If you can find it, childcare in Ontario is the most expensive in the country. That was true before COVID-19. Now with the pandemic's disruption, that has hit the capacity of the whole sector. And what was already often called a crisis has only gotten worse. Joining us now for a look at why it's a problem, not just for parents and operators. In St. Catharines, Ontario, Kate Bazanson, Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology and Associate Dean of Social Sciences at Brock University. And from the provincial capital, Carolyn Ferns, Public Policy and Government Relations Coordinator for the Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care. And Elizabeth Dewey, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Toronto. And we're delighted to have the three of you on TVO tonight for an important and timely discussion. And let's just go through this on alphabetical order. I know each of you could give me uh, a very long answer to this first question, but hopefully I can encourage you just to give, give us a single piece of the puzzle as to how the pandemic has affected childcare in a different way from the previous crises that we have discussed on this program in the past. Uh, go ahead, Kate, start us off. So thanks, Stephen. It's lovely to be here with you today. I'd say that childcare has hit a serious crisis point in pandemic. We know that when the pandemic hit, women were the first called or pushed out of the labor market as a result of caregiving responsibilities and because of the sectors of employment that they were in. When the economy started to reopen and childcare capacity started to, to come back, we saw that both the costs of delivering that childcare escalated and parents were also either apprehensive or couldn't afford to send those kids back to those spaces that existed. So we now face a situation of some, some childcare deliverers actually permanently closing, which will stunt, stall, hobble our economic recovery. Elizabeth Dewey, what would you add to that? You know, everything she said is perfectly correct. I think um, what the pandemic has shown us is how fragile the system is, and it's going to really hurt our economy if we don't get this correct going forward. And Carolyn Ferns? So I absolutely agree, but um, I'd say that childcare has never been more essential, at the same time, never more fragile. Um, so I used to talk about childcare as being a silent crisis because it relied upon parents, you know, to get on those 13 waiting lists, try to find the money to pay the fees. It also relied on early child educators to, you know, scrape by on very low wages. And it was a silent crisis because those people sort of struggled alone, quietly um, making it work or trying to make it work. But what the pandemic has done has really um, made that crisis visible to everybody. Any employer who has, you know, is on a Zoom call with a parent with a toddler crawling on their head knows that we so it's essential. We can see that now. But the sector, as, as Kate said, has never been more vulnerable, never more fragile um, because it now costs more, you know, because of health and safety um, reasons to provide childcare. At the same time, many parents, you know, hard hit by the economic recession are even less able to pay child, those high childcare fees than they did before. Maybe they're still working at home and they're reticent to send their children back. Um, so the sector is very vulnerable right now. 
And that's why we really need to see uh, moving forward a greater investment. Well, I was just going to follow up on this cost angle, because if it is the impression of those watching us right now that childcare has been off the charts expensive, it's not their imagination. We've got some numbers here from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. And Sheldon Osmond, I'll director, I'm going to ask you to bring up this chart. And for those listening on podcast, I'll describe it a little bit. This is a snapshot of what fees looked like last year in the province of Ontario. And not surprising... Toronto, the capital city, is the most expensive city in Canada with a median cost of more than $1,700 a month for child care. The cheapest rates in this province are apparently in Windsor, Ontario, down around $868 a month. But if you check this list, number two through seven, second through seventh most expensive municipalities in the country, Vaughan, Markham, Oakville, Mississauga, Kitchener, Richmond Hill, Brampton clocks in at number 10. Basically, it means that the GTA cities made up almost all of the 10 costliest cities in the country for child care. And um, Elizabeth, maybe follow up on that. Why is child care so much more expensive in and around the provincial capital than anywhere else in the country? Well, it comes to having child care is a very labor intensive um, industry and your childcare workers have to live somewhere nearby. So we need to pay them somewhat so they can sort of, as said before, scrape by. So um, places with higher cost of living are gonna have to pay um, their their um, workers more money. And that's, since it's so highly intensive in terms of labor, you're, it just goes right into the cost. Also, you know, you have higher real estate costs. Everything is more expensive in the GTA. And so that's just gonna be, shown in this childcare costs. Carolyn, any sense about how those numbers would stack up compared to, say, other big cities uh, or medium-sized cities uh, around the OECD? Oh, around the OECD, um, we fare very badly. Ontario has some of the highest childcare costs in the world. Um, but even if we compare it across provinces, one of the interesting things to look at is the, you know, the childcare costs in, for parents in Ottawa versus across the river in Gatineau. Um, where, of course, the Quebec system, you know, uh, subsidizes childcare more and childcare is much more affordable for parents. So why are childcare costs so expensive here in Ontario? It's a policy decision. It's because we allow it to be that way. If there was more public funding going to support the system, to lower parent fees, to really make it affordable for parents, and to allow early child educators to earn a decent wage, then we would have a stronger childcare system. We would have one that was better for parents and better for, for everyone, frankly. I'm just looking at that list again that we just put up, and Ottawa is number 11 on the list at just over $1,000 a month. There it is again. It's at the bottom of the chart, but still, $1,000 a month. And, Kate, maybe I'll get you to pick up the story here. That compares to $180 a month on the other side of the river in Gatineau, <laughs> Quebec. More than 1000 versus 180 What's the implication of all of that? The implication, of course, is massive. And we see already from, from StatsCan data that shows that there are gender employment gaps depending on the cost of childcare in the city in which you live. So if we just look at the Ottawa-Gatineau region, the gender employment gap on the Quebec side was 2.6 percentage points compared to 7.3 percentage points on the Ottawa side. And this likely reflects the significant, massive investments that the Quebec government has made since the early 90s in a comprehensive family policy that includes an affordable, publicly, publicly managed childcare system that sets fee caps for parents. 
You know, the strange thing is, if you look at the amount of debt and deficit the province of Quebec is carrying right now, it's not as bad as Ontario's on a per capita basis. So they've decided to invest more in child care, and apparently their debt and deficit is not any worse than ours for it. What do you infer from that, Kate? Well, childcare largely pays for itself as an investment. And one of the things that's really interesting coming out of the, the sort of Quebec experiment, if we want to call it that, is that one of the significant results of it has been a significant increase in women's labor market participation and, and a concomitant decrease in levels of child and household poverty. So as, as an illustration, um, in between 1997 and 2016, the labor force participation rate of mothers in Quebec of children aged zero to five increased by 16 percentage points from 64 to 80%. And elsewhere in Canada, the increase was just four points from 67 to 71%. So we see that those kinds of public policy investments have significant impacts both on labor market participation, but also on the downstream effects. They're on taxation uh, levels increase. So governments get more money, including hilariously, the federal government actually has done quite well out of the taxation revenue generated by women's labor market participation in Quebec. But we also see really important child development outcomes. So it's a system that for every dollar invested, yields more than double in returns. Elizabeth, let's do another comparison, and this time not to a province like Quebec, which is not dissimilar from Ontario uh, in terms of size and makeup and so on. Let's do Northwest Territories. That's pretty different from Ontario. What did you find there when you looked at the NWT? You know, looking there, it's, it's a different place in Ontario and Quebec. Um, the same story is that it's a really good investment to to put money, government money, into childcare. Specifically in the Northwest Territories, when we looked at it, it was actually a better deal for the government to invest in childcare than mining, diamond mining, one of their huge industries that people are very concerned about, spend a lot of time, political um, thought about. But actually, if they're going to put a dollar into childcare, it's going to be a better deal than a, a dollar into their mining industry. It's a pretty big deal. We... Um... You know, we do talk about this subject quite frequently on this program, as recently as just a few days ago, when Armin Yalnesian, who is, uh, of course, well-known economist and uh, Atkinson Fellow on the Future of Workers, uh, she and I talked about this. And uh, let's play a little snippet of that conversation, and then we'll come back and chat, okay? Sheldon, if you would. Child care is the choke point on recovery. And child care is treated as a market-delivered system. It, too, is functioning with loss of user fees and higher costs and more of them will shudder, and we're just standing by uh, watching this social, vital social infrastructure collapse because of market forces. So there's some sectors that we actually need to immediately address and prevent further loss in. Carolyn, can I start by getting you to follow up on that, why addressing childcare is so essential to a post-pandemic recovery? What's the argument? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as always, our, our meme just hit the nail on the head. Um, it, is, it is essential both to economic recovery and social recovery. And it's important that we tackle it quickly because, as our meme pointed out, um, the childcare sector right now is very unstable. And we know that here in Ontario, just over half of Ontario's childcare centres have reopened at this point. And what we worry about is that some of those that are still closed may never reopen, right? And it's primarily because, you know, right now they're temporarily have low enrollment. Now we know the usual story in childcare is that there are 
lots of wait lists, that it's hard to get a space, that they're oversubscribed. And right now we have the opposite situation, a very low enrollment, which means childcare centers deficits are which means that they may close down permanently. But again, we know that's a temporary situation. Um, if we look at, say, um, emergency room usage, there was a great study from back in the SARS pandemic that showed that it took two years for emergency room visits to go back to normal post-pandemic, right? But we never thought, oh, well, I guess we could just let that emergency room close because we know that we would need it, right? But childcare, because it's left to the market, because it's, you know, each individual, sometimes a volunteer parent board, trying to figure out how to keep the doors open. We're just going to stand by and, and watch the whole sector collapse unless, you know, the province and the federal government wake up and make a strong investment into childcare, understanding that it's essential to our economic recovery and also essential to social recovery. Young children who have been uh, experiencing this pandemic, you know, have had their daily routines upended. Um, they need a strong quality childcare system that can help them look to a brighter future. So I see it as an investment, not only in the economy, but also in our, our social fabric. Kate, I think the thing we need to better understand is, uh, you know, people like you have made the arguments for years, people like the three of you and others have made the arguments for years as to why this makes sense to do. And yet, um, you know, it hasn't happened yet. And we ha it's not like we haven't had any progressive governments in case, or it's not like they're even conservative governments that don't understand the importance of child care. Uh, whatever's supposed to happen hasn't happened yet. Why not? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think there's, there are several sides to that question. Of course, there's the question of political will. There's the question of child care's benefits accruing over time. So it takes time to build the capacity of the child care labor force to develop a strong, well-remunerated, well-trained labor force. It also takes time to build out centers and to build out the kind of spaces that are needed. So those investments aren't turn on a switch like you would, for example, with roads and bridges. Here, I'm going to put my shovels in the ground. A social infrastructure-led recovery is exactly the right tool for this moment. But it takes longer to see the benefits. And a political cycle is usually four years long. So you don't see those benefits that you can run on as easily with this investment. Is that a reason not to do it? Absolutely not. It's actually a cowardly reason not to do it. It's easier to show a road. It's harder to show, you know, 100,000 new childcare spaces. But those benefits over 10 years will have massive GDP effects. One estimate that, that my colleagues and I came up with is that every percentage point increase for women's labor market participation in Canada yields $1.85 billion in, in GDP growth. So it is a smart bet and a smart investment. It takes political will and it takes absolutely the right design. And I hope that's something we can canvas a little bit because there's good childcare and there's not so good childcare. Well, okay, let me follow up on that. And I'll, and I'll play a bit of the heavy here just for argument's sake. Uh, Carolyn, pick up on this if you would. I wonder if part of the problem among governments is that the childcare sector itself has not been of unanimous voice in, you know, should childcare be nonprofit or for profit? Should it be only, uh, you know, in the public sector or is there a role for the private sector to hold as well? Uh, I wonder if whether these arguments within the sector have have given the wiggle room for governments not to do anything because they can simply say, well, you guys haven't got your act together yet. So how can we have ours together? Mm. 
Well, I think that that's, that's possible um, in the past. But again, what's happened with the pandemic is that um, it's really focused um, exactly what the problem is. Um, and we've, we've seen that the childcare system being in this, being the market-based, uh, you know, sort of patchwork that we've had is unworkable, right? And that we need to move forward to build a stronger public system. Um, and I think that that's more clear than ever. Um, because we've seen that because of the fragility that we've seen over the last uh, six months. And uh, I think so we know that we need to have a public investment um, to actually grow the system and that just creating spaces alone isn't enough, just providing funding alone isn't enough. Um, and that actually more funding into a poorly organized system is actually going to be a waste of money. And that's why I think a lot, um, you really, uh, a chorus of, of advocates are now saying the same thing, that it's not just about the money, it's about the system. It's about mm -hmm. building a strong system. And so that I hope is what um, certainly the, the provincial government and definitely the federal, federal government need to hear. It's about creating a system now. Well, Elizabeth, I wonder if you're a private daycare operator and you're listening to that answer, are you going to say to yourself, uh-huh, see, she's only interested in a system in the public sector as part of a, you know, a broader education system, if you like, and she's leaving me out of the equation. What about that? You know, um, as an economist, I'm fairly agnostic about the politics that's going on in this world. Um, I believe there are a lot of politics between the, the providers. And I think at this moment in time, what we need to focus on is not the individual providers. I, I'm sorry if it's hard for any individual person, they, but we need to focus on the system and doing high quality investment into the system using sort of more um, municipally grounded systems, having more, um, more centers working together. We get a lot of economies of scale and that's going to be cost effective. So um, I think we just need to think very broadly, not politically at the moment, to fix a system, build a new system, change a system, make sure that everybody can have a new place in the new whatever system there is, and make it cost effective and make it high quality. So in, that's my agnostic economist view. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In which case, let's start to go through this. Kate, what does that new and improved, better, more accessible, higher quality childcare system actually look like? Well, it has many pieces. And I think right now what we need to focus on is the immediate term building to the long term. So in the immediate term, the childcare sector is in crisis and needs to be backstopped. The existing stock of spaces need to be girded and need to be supported so that they exist. Now, let's remember, we know that schools are going to be there for our kids next year, the year after, because, because schools are education is a right of every child and a responsibility of every provincial government, territorial well, it's government. it's mandated in law. It's mandated in law. Childcare enjoys no such protection. <laughs> the other side of this and the other risk is that what we can face is a situation where we have a really uneven recovery across the country, where where you live can determine what you get in childcare and what your labor market prospects are and therefore how you recover. This is, this is our first she session. It's our first pink collar recession. It's really gonna matter that women get back into the labor force. And so what you see is the maturity of a childcare system, the maturity of a childcare system, for example, in Quebec, may likely fare better economically than a system that is less developed in other parts of the country. So what I'm looking for is the kind of collaboration that we have seen in pandemic, unprecedented 
augmented collaboration between the federal government and municipal government, uh, uh, provincial territorial governments to do what's absolutely needed, which is to build away from the kind of really difficult patchwork childcare approach that we have had largely in this country that has placed Canada at the bottom of international rankings. Canada spends 0.23% of its GDP on early childhood education and care compared to 2% in the countries that are leading in this area. So we not, but we need to invest money, but we also need to have really good design that builds out a system that has the three principles of quality, affordability, and accessibility baked in. An overfocus on affordability denudes those other two sides of that three-legged stool of the capacity to build a system and to have it reliably be there for people over the long term. Our recovery depends on it and our kids depend on it. Carolyn, I'm gonna ask you to follow up with a very political question because you do spend your time uh, advocating with governments on how to get this done. We have in this country uh, liberals federally. We have new Democrats in British Columbia. We have progressive conservatives in Ontario. We have something called the Coalition pour l'avenir du Québec, the Coalition for the Future of Quebec in Quebec. Is there one party that gets this issue better than others in your view? Hmm. That's a, a really good question. It's a, a really tough question. And we've certainly seen, um, I would say that there is no one party that has got it perfectly perfectly right across the country. Um, and one of the things I think we need to see um, is actually different parties, different levels of government collaborating on childcare. And I know that maybe sounds pie in the sky, but you know, when this pandemic started, we saw people come together. We saw people of different political stripes come together and say, we need to move together as a nation uh, dealing with this crisis head on. And that crisis has now changed and evolved, the, the, the type of crisis that we're facing. And now we are facing a care crisis. And so I think we do need to see the, the federal government, the liberal federal government, and the conservative government here in Ontario playing ball with each other, actually collaborating on it. And I don't think that that's too optimistic to say. I think it's a necessity. Um, and of course, here in Ontario, we also need the municipalities um, there. And I know that they are. Um, ready to to work on childcare. So frankly, I think that we really need to see um, an unprecedented um, collaboration across uh, the provinces, territories, and federal government to address an unprecedented crisis. Well, all right, to that end, Elizabeth, we have seen, frankly, unprecedented collaboration between the current prime minister and the current premier of Ontario and their cabinet ministers uh, all the way down the line. And the results have been, uh, you know, uh, there have been a lot of compliments for things like the CERB and the backstop for wages and, uh, you know, tenant protection. And anyway, all the way down the line. Uh, how optimistic are you, Elizabeth, that you're going to see the same kind of collaboration and cooperation when it comes to child care? Um, unfortunately, I'm not optimistic at all. Um, I feel like I hope I'm wrong and I'm going to be very excited if I'm wrong. I just don't see um how it's going to change because this has been an issue for a really really long time the big problems is people see childcare differently than other industries it's probably because it's female dominated um probably because some people want females to stay home with their kids early on and so i i the political cycle and how politics works I, i'm not very optimistic unfortunately i wish i could say i was super optimistic and i hope someone comes back to me in a couple months and say you were wrong and i'll be very happy to be wrong but Katie, are you going to be one of those people? Um, I hope I am. I have 
I would say I have cautious optimism and for no other reason than, I mean, for many reasons, but instrumentally for the following reason, my neighbor down the street who's got three kids who needs childcare is not going to run to sections 91 and 92 of the constitution and say, <laughs> oh, today I should be really angry with the provincial government for this one. Any elected official. So the first person she sees, whether it's the prime minister or her MP or our ward councillor, she's going to say, where's the child care? This is what matters to me. This is what matters to my family. Our, our sustainability and our household functioning depends on it and the economy depends on it. And instrumentally, everyone's head is on the proverbial block on this one. So get together and do the right thing. No, I appreciate what you're saying. Having said that, I mean, the Constitution is there. It is a real thing. The powers of the federal government are in Section 91. The powers of the provincial government are in Section 92. And um, these things can get quite ticklish when the feds decide to do things that doesn't come technically on their to-do list. Uh, so to that end, Carolyn, I wonder what, what can be the federal role here, given that this is technically, constitutionally, a provincial responsibility? Well, I think that we've seen uh, the federal government um, moving more and, you know, getting more involved in uh, early childhood education and care. And I think that it is a, a, a great role that they uh, can play to provide uh, leadership. I think that there is nothing stopping having national legislation, having a federal secretariat that can try to coordinate um, work on early childhood education and care across the country. Um, certainly, they have a funding role to play. And, you know, as we've seen with the agreements on childcare so far, they can set limits on how that money is spent. And, you know, with greater federal spending, they could perhaps, spe uh, you know, provide greater direction on how that uh, money is being spent. So I think that there is an already an opening for collaboration between the uh, provinces and the federal government and territories and the federal government on childcare. Um, it's now about really uh, stepping up facing the, you know, the crisis that we have in childcare, honestly, and starting to, to you know, make greater investments, really, uh, directly building. Yeah, Kate, I don't want to get too deeply in the weeds here, but I think the reality is, and I'm going back about a decade and a half now, if memory serves, maybe a little longer, uh, Ken Dryden, who, when he was a minister of the Crown in the uh, previous Liberal government, you know, he was, he was hamstrung by the Constitution in signing a national childcare agreement but he got it done by signing individual agreements with each individual province. Now, it took a heck of a lot longer and it's a lot more cumbersome, but at the end of the day, he got it done. I guess my question is, had that system stayed in place and had the Harper government not subsequently canceled all of that, where would we be today that we're now not today? Well, I, I think, I, I, I hope, if it had rolled out the way that it was imagined to be rolled out, that the most of the country would look a lot like Quebec where we have had a significant increase in women's labor market participation, where we've had a significant fee cap, where it's been more accessible, it's been more uh, affordable. And I think we would see a, a more resilience in this particular pandemic. What the pandemic has actually exposed is the care vulnerabilities that, that were always underlying our economic system. But those now have been put in stark relief. And moving forward, the, the prospect of not just a gender regressive recovery, you know, we saw recently Recently, a poll come out that one third of mothers have considered leaving the labor market in pandemic for caregiving reasons. We've seen that women's economic recovery, especially for those with young children, has stalled. And childcare, as Armin has said, 
is the choke point in this. So um, I am, uh, my sense is that we have a, an imperative right now and a kind of different kind of national consensus than we've had before. I think that our policy imaginary has also shifted in pandemic. We've seen a role for the federal government in a way that we haven't seen historically. And this is something we haven't faced before. And in every crisis, we have reimagined our federation. And this is one of those moments of reimagining our federation, both in service of economic recovery and also in service of building back better and fixing a system that was really a market system and not an accessible public system. We, um, yeah, Kate, maybe follow up with this. We did have uh, Aaron O'Toole, the new leader of the Conservative Party, on our program last Friday. And, um, you know, there were so many issues that I wanted to get to. I'm not sure I put a question to him on this, but, but we do know that he is a pro-choice, pro-LGBTQ, yeah. uh, pro-same-sex marriage. Um, let's put it this way. He's a fairly different conservative leader from what that party is accustomed to. Has anybody that you know of had a chat with him about child care? And do you know where he stands on it? Well, he, I haven't had a chat with him. Um, I would welcome a chat with him. Uh, um, I did have a chance to look at the, the platform documents that he's put together and the kind of policy proposals that are being put forward uh, from his platform really mirror the kind of conservative policy approaches that we've seen in the past around childcare that have had a significant focus largely on the affordability side of things. So that focus, there's my puppy, of course, barking. I need to <laughs> right, on <guess>. <laughs> right on cue. Right on cue. Um, on the affordability side of things, so a focus on on tax credits, a focus on um, uh, re tax rebates, and while affordability is a really important part of the childcare puzzle, we know that childcare is is so hard to afford for so many families. The reality is is that I could give you six thousand dollars a year, Steve, to go and buy childcare, and you would have to find likely the cheapest form of childcare available. And what that would do is stimulate low wage female employment, which puts us in the virtuous cycle that got us into this situation in the first place with unaffordability. Hmm. Uh, Elizabeth, you're the economist, so let me put this to you. If, if the conservative policy on this today, and again, he's just in as the new leader, so we don't know where, we don't completely know where he is on this issue. If it's essentially the same as the former Harper policy, which is essentially to sort of uh, you know, offer parents a subsidy, but not actually build the system anymore. What would be your view on that? You know, my view would be, you know, my negative view from a little bit before holds and that we need to reimagine, we need to think about wage subsidies so that we attract more individuals into the market. We need to think about quality. We need to do so many new and innovative things to make the system robust, to go forward. It's gonna have great economic impact in terms of short-term, long-term, like it's a no-brainer to me, so I don't understand why we're still talking about small tax credits. I mean, they're big-ish, but it's not, you know, that's not gonna give you enough to go out as a woman with young kids and actually find care. So I feel like it's the same old, same old when we really need to tackle the problem today in 2020. Carolyn Ferns, let me give you the last 30 seconds on that same question. Well, certainly, I mean, I, from the provincial uh, government, dealing with a conservative government here in Ontario, the Ford government, we've seen, um, you know, sort of an evolution in their position um, from one where they were cutting $80 million from childcare spending and talking incessantly about their tax credit um, to one where I saw Minister Lecce uh, together with the federal minister last week 
um, you know, accepting the, you know, the federal government's, uh, you know, investment into childcare, talking about how essential childcare was. So we've seen an evolution in the province's rhetoric on childcare from a conservative government. Um, but what we really need to see now is actually them sitting down and collaborating with the federal government to move childcare to a much more uh, stable uh, place that can actually support um, our economic and our social recovery. That's Carolyn Ferns from the Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care. Thanks also to Elizabeth Dewey, Associate Professor, Economics, University of Toronto, and Kate Bazanson, Associate Professor, Department of Sociology, and the Associate Dean of Social Sciences at Brock University in St. Catharines. We'll talk puppy care next time as well, Kate. Uh, <laughs> thanks to the three of you for coming on to TVO tonight. Really grateful for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Ontario. CPA Ontario is a regulator, an educator, a thought leader, and an advocate. We protect the public. We advance our profession. We guide our CPAs. We are CPA Ontario. And by viewers like you. Thank you.